So let's start together. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. This is God's word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field belonging to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own and after it was sold was it not at your disposal Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. As I mentioned a few moments ago in our prayers, uh, we're looking together, we've been looking together since Christmas or since the New Year at the Book of Acts. And it's all about advancing the gospel. That's what we've called it. And we've seen so far, I'm getting this picture that the church is this gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. And therefore, if we're a faithful church, faithful to the Bible, so should we be those things. A gospel church is a church that is centered around Jesus, that has the power of the Holy Spirit in it, and is built around community. Community. That is the, the outward sign, if you like. That is the thing that people from the outside will look and they will see, before they come and read the Apostles' Creed and, and believe that, perhaps the first thing they will look at is us. They will look at our community, what we're like as people, how do we interact with one another. That is how the gospel is displayed. That is how the spirit, Spirit's power is worked out. And so a healthy church is one that advances the gospel. An unhealthy church is one that hinders the gospel that prevents the gospel from going out, that prevents Jesus from from being known. And so we have seen here, and we've just read together, this account of a challenge to the early gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community. It's threatened. Jesus, we know, 
from the Gospels, loves the church so much so that he gave his life for her, like a husband gives his life to his bride. In fact, marriage, according to the Apostle Paul later on, should mirror what Christ did for the church. That's how we get our idea of marriage from, as Christians. But this text that we've just read together and maybe caused a bit of uh, shock to you as you read it perhaps for the first time, goes to show how far Jesus will go to protect his bride. And it's very tough and it's very severe, but that's how far Jesus goes to protect his church. And so uh, we'll think of this, ter- this, uh, this text in two, two ways. We'll see uh, people or a type of person who, who makes community, who develops community, we'll call him a community maker. And then on the other hand, we'll see a type of person or a type of attitude or whatever um, that has the opposite effect. There's a community breaker. One builds it up, one tears it down. And then once we understand that and why Luke has put these two things together, we can start to think about uh, the way that affects us as a church. So, first of all, who is the community maker? Well, uh, the first part of our entire text today is a bit of a summary, again, of the early church. It says that all those believers, thousands of them, probably five or so thousand of them, uh, were all together. They, they, they uh, were of one heart and one soul, united. They were together on mission. They were together on, in one purpose. They were together in their motivation. It says they had everything in common. And at that time, the apostles did their ministry with great power. Just a beautiful picture. There was no need in this early community on mission. Why was there no need? Well, it says there that as many as were owners of land or houses, verse 34, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each person as any had need. That's why there was no need because there was a sharing of wealth, there was a generosity that was unparalleled outside the church. We saw a few weeks ago that within a spirit-filled or spirit-empowered church, uh, the marks are that they're, they're devoted together to the apostles' teaching. Uh, their, their time together is awe-inspiring. Remember, they were benevolent. Uh, and a gospel-centered church is growing. And so we see that again fleshed out here. We see that fleshed out here. This is not normal behavior, as far as we can see. And this man called Barnabas, otherwise known as Joseph, embodies the community making value of the church his actual name was joseph but he, his nickname was son of encouragement it's kind of a maybe on first glance you think son of encouragement that's, that's okay but wouldn't it be better to be like son of power or son of miracles you know? but when you're in the position of needing encouragement thinking am i doing the right thing here is this right Someone comes along to you and encourages you and says, yeah, you're doing the right thing. I, I love what you're doing. It's great. Brings pleasure to God. Awesome. That is worth more than power and miracles and all the other stuff, as far as I'm concerned. And so this guy, Barnabas, son of encouragement, had this spirit of building up. It was in his heart. And it, he lived it out as well. 
because it says he had a bit of land and he sold it and he gave it to the church. He gave it to the apostles to do with it what they wanted to in, in which way they saw the need. They would distribute it to, to maybe the poor. They would, they would use it to buy uh, food, maybe something like that. Who knows? It doesn't say. But we have this guy, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, living out this community value, making community, reinforcing it, building it. Of course, goes without saying, building community comes at a cost. We've been thinking about that already tonight, doesn't it? It revolves around sacrifice. But that's what it takes to build a community on mission. That's what it takes to advance the gospel. It takes cost. And Barnabas willingly parted with some of his produce anyway. He was a community maker. But I want to spend a little more time then looking at this other really bizarre, let's face it, uh, account of this husband and wife we call them community breakers, and that's why they were dealt with so severely and so harshly. Verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5. In some ways, they're kind of mirror images of one another. See, Barnabas had a field, he sold it, he gave it to the apostles to distribute. So therefore, uh, in, a, in a like way, this man called Ananias and his wife Sapphira, or Sapphira, they also had property. They also sold it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But whereas Barnabas went on to greater ministry in the future, and we read that in the book of Acts, these pair ended up dead within a few minutes or hours of one another because of what they did. So why the difference? Why, why is one affirmed and blessed? And why does that build up the community? And why, why are the other ones struck down dead by God? Because it's so destructive and harmful to the church. Well, the answer is in the text, thankfully. It says in verses 2 and verses 3, when Peter confronts Ananias first, he said, uh, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Or in verse 2, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only part of it. This doesn't come across particularly easily in the, in the English translation of the Greek word, but behind that Greek word, um, it's right, it says, kept back, you know, hoarding it to yourself, but it carries this idea of misappropriating or stealing. You know, retaining a bit, which belongs to someone else. It should be someone else's, but you've kept it for yourself. The difference then between Barnabas giving and Ananias and Sapphira giving was that Barnabas apparently gave everything he intended to do. This other couple made out they gave everything they intended to, but kept some back. But they let on they'd given all of it. Why do they do this? Peter says in verse 4, while it was your own land, did it not remain your own? No one was telling you to do anything with it. It was yours to do with what you wanted. After it was sold, could you not do with it what you wanted? But why is it you've contrived this deed in your hearts? You have not lied to men, but to God. Seems to be that they were letting on. They were more generous, more godly, more pious than they really were. How did Peter know what was going on? Was he stood in the post office and happened to 
to hear some people whispering behind him in the line as he was trying to pay for his stamps? Is that how he picked it up? Did someone call the Apostle tip-off line and say, you know what, this couple here, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, this, they paid this, they're giving you this much, but this is how much they got? Doesn't make it clear in the Scriptures, but most likely the Holy Spirit of God revealed this to Peter there and then on the spot. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 8 calls this word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit from time to time reveals something to individuals that otherwise would not be known by ordinary knowledge. And most likely Peter had this word of knowledge there and then from the Holy Spirit. And it says the man dropped down dead. And then the same thing happened a few hours later to the wife in verse 7 and beyond. She had a chance to come clean. Is this how much she got for the land? Peter said to her. And she said, yes, that's exactly how much we got for the land. And Peter said in verse 9, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And again, she dropped down dead and got buried. And it says their great fear came upon all those who heard of these things. No wonder great fear came upon all of those who heard these things. It's not common, is it, for people to suddenly drop down dead in a church meeting. So let's just ask the question before we move on. Why did all this happen? Why was it that Barnabas was blessed and affirmed and went on to greater ministry, whereas Ananias and Sapphira were judged on the spot and died? Well, uh, Peter says, doesn't he, a few times, you've been lying to the Holy Spirit. Or he says to, uh, to Sapphira, the wife, you've been lying to the Spirit of God. Ultimately, it seems to be the greatest sin they committed was trying to lie to God, to fob him off. They were trying to appear before their fellow church people. They were trying to appear more spiritual than they really were, more holy than they really were, more pious than they really were. It seems to be that Ananias and Sapphira wanted more glory than they were willing to pay for. They didn't want to give the sacrifice or the cost, but they wanted the glory. They wanted the praise from their fellow church people. They wanted the affirmation from their fellow church people. And yet, they manipulated Christian behavior and Christian language for personal gain. That's the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. They thought they were trying to lie against God, but as they found out and as the church realized, you can't fool God. Note with me in the text, Ananias and Sapphira were not puppets. They willfully and actively deceived the apostles and the church and even tried to deceive God. That was what their hearts wanted. They contrived, they said, why have you agreed to test the Holy Spirit? And so they were killed on the spot. Sounds awful harsh but so destructive to the community was their behavior and the spirit in their hearts that God made an example of them for all to see. So there we have it. The community maker, Barnabas. The community breakers, Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas 
on one hand was selfless, the other pair were selfish. He wanted to give grace at any cost, they wanted to give grace on the cheap. Barnabas, his love, his attitude, his, his behaviour was rooted in the gospel. Ananias and Sapphira, their love, behaviour and attitude was rooted in self-promotion. For him, the community maker at its core was a response to the gospel and a love for other people. For them, at their core, was a love for their own desires and their own well-being. He, Barnabas, submitted to the Spirit. They tried to lie to the Spirit. He was genuine and compassionate with his love. They were false and manipulative. He was open and respectful of godly leaders. They were seeking to subvert the leaders and usurp them for their own ends. He was building up a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. They were tearing it down. And here's the thing, both of those types of people were found in the early church. So community makers and community breakers. And where, where does that leave us for today? Is this simply a historic study of what happened back in the first century AD? Absolutely not. We've seen that time and again. We're not just looking back at history and thinking that's interesting. We're, we're instructed from history here in the book of Acts because these things are repeated generation after generation. Do they happen in today's church? You bet. You bet. Do they have a devastating effect in the church Today, you bet. Does community making advance the gospel and the glory of Christ and the mission of God? You bet. Does seeking to try and be more holy and lie to God break it down and cause a church to look inwards and, and deny the glory and the riches of Jesus Christ? You bet. You know, the world out there, outside the church, is full of posturing, isn't it? And pretense, and power plays, and manipulation. It's full of people, let's face it, who are just good at looking after number one. And we see this play out in loads of different ways, whether it's in your place of work. People are kind of friends, you know, with barriers, but when it works for them and when it suits them, they climb over you and get to the top. Or maybe the same sort of thing happens in your family. People just playing happy families, but ultimately they, they're interested in themselves and themselves alone. That stuff happens out in the world. But Jesus is saying, not so in the church. Not in my church, not in my body. This kind of stuff will not happen. And so he gives us this text of scripture. You know, sometimes when people are trying to let on they're more holy than they are, let on they have been more generous than they really are, trying to be more mature and wise than they really are. Sometimes that can be discerned. Sometimes it can be discerned. But oftentimes it cannot be discerned. That's, that's why people do it, right? Because we can easily get played. Does that make it okay? if you can get away with this type of attitude? 
Absolutely not. Because as Peter says, you're not lying to men and women. You're not cheating them. You're, 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 you're lying to God. You're trying to play God for a fool. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Before we summarise and draw some of these themes together, let me just be really clear what this does not mean. Because perhaps you're hearing this sort of message about uh, giving and, and uh, you're just thinking, oh, he, he just wants more money or he wants money. He wants me to go further. And maybe that's the application for you, I don't know. But what I'm not saying is, for example, if you've got 100 pounds, you must give 100 pounds. I'm not saying that. If you've got 100 pounds in your pocket and you want to give five pounds, you can do that. If you've got 100 pounds and you want to give all of it, you can do that. How much of what you have and what you give is between you and God. So what I'm not saying is that whatever resources you have, you have to give to the church or give to charity or whatever. whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But the point I'm trying to get at and the scripture leads us into is this. What is in your heart when you are giving, when you're attending, when you're speaking, when you're teaching, when you're speaking about yourself and and talking about your, your Christianity or your faith? Are you legitimate? Are you authentic? Or are you a bit like Ananias and Sapphira, have that spirit of making out your better than you really are, that you're posturing, that you're more holy than you really are, that you're more generous than you really are. Sounds maybe a bit small fry to you. Maybe you think, what is he going on about? This is just small details. Everyone's like that. But we see in this text the severity with which Jesus looks at this. This stuff wrecks Churches. Do you major on your own piousness? Do you let on that you're more holy than you really are? Or are you humbly generous? Are you a son or a daughter of encouragement? Do you seek to build up community however you can with whatever resources God has for you? I'm not just talking here about giving, let's think a bit more broadly, with your words, with what you put on social media. Are you projecting something about yourself that is just simply not true? As a church, at Foundation Church, we want to be a church defined and marked by community makers, members of the body who are committed to building up community on mission, not tearing it down. We want to be a group of people who are committed to building a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission, to pursue Christ together with no pretending, just being authentic and real with each other, because it's that kind of attitude that God loves. Hunger for him and authenticity from ourselves. That is the kind of stuff that God looks at and says, yes, I can bless this. I want to use this. I'm going to use these people 
to build my kingdom. It's the kind of church we want to be. When you look at Ashfield, the move to Ashfield, and you look at us and you think, there's really not much for us. We don't have a lot of resources. We're not much to look at. But we're making this move because we believe this stuff in the Bible is true. We believe the gospel is true. We believe the Holy Spirit is present and at work and we believe that God sends us out on mission to make more of Jesus. And so let me end by challenging you. Are you a community maker? Or is there a spirit within you that is harmful, community breaker? In a few moments, we're going to pray together. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to convict us and to point us in the right direction, um, to point us to Jesus. And our final song, we're going, to, we're going to use the words of this song as a prayer and as a, a cry, I suppose, to God the Holy Spirit to say that you're, you're welcome in our church, you're a welcome in me. The person who prays that and sings that in truth is the person who God is going to use to build his church.